see everybody. I like that music. Music, some of you dancing out there. So we have a charcuterie board here at table 17. Uh, Aisha came over and told me about it, but she told me about it at an inopportune time because I couldn't come over and get some meat and cheese, uh, which is my life these days, my keto world of eating. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's the table you want to be at. Uh, Aisha, you want to make friends with her, sit at her table, and she'll bring you charcuterie, I guess. So there you go. She says, everybody's welcome. Come on by. Come on by. So good to have everybody here. If you're a guest this morning, welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Ryan. And there goes Jim Adams, one of our online hosts, is uh, stealing meat and cheese. That's good. So wonderful. She has a, a giving basket over there uh, for the offering as well. So we're, it's a little experiment we're running around here. So uh, if you're a guest, you're tuning in for the first time out in the atrium, you're here in the room, welcome. Again, like I said, my name is Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Great to be with you. Inside your program right there, there's a little welcome note from me along with my cell phone number. If you're a guest or if you've been around for a while and we've never been able to have coffee and just personally get to know one another and hear each other's story, uh, it would mean a, a tremendous amount to me if you just send me a text message. I'd love to do that. Uh, I always say I love it when people buy me coffee. Um, so it'd be wonderful to do that, but not actually on me. So it'd be great to, to meet you, especially if you're a guest or if we've never done that before. If we've done it before, I'm always up for it. So uh, it'd be great. Uh, one thing before before we jump into the talk this morning, and that is uh, this summer in July and August, we're going to do something fun. If you remember last summer, we did a, a series called Campfire Stories. Anybody remember that? Anybody still go to this church that was here? Good. That's wonderful. Nice to see that. Um, so, <laughs> so we did this series called Campfire Stories, and we're going to bring that back. And each week we're looking at some of these stories, these great stories from Scripture and, and their parabolic meaning in our lives today. Like how do we apply it to us? But here's what's exciting. Our whole church is doing this. So from preschool to high school to adult we're all doing campfire stories, and we're all kind of talking about the same story each week. And one of the gaps that we have in the life of our church since COVID and all those things is, some, is something for middle school students on Sunday mornings. And so what I'm interested in, are there folks that would uh, want to participate for seven weeks in helping our middle school students engage with campfire stories? Maybe you've uh, worked with middle school kids in the past, maybe you just have a heart for that generation. But if you're interested, it goes for seven weeks. And we just need a handful of folks that would kind of share that burden and invest their story, their interaction with these stories. We'll equip you. If you're interested in that, uh, just write on your Connect card, middle school. And, and then I'll reach out to you. Somebody from our team will reach out to you, and we'll get preparing on that. Uh, some of you, your names have been given to me to recruit. <laughs> I'm serious. So uh, you might get a phone call. But uh, so that's kind of a vision and area that we really want to invest in here over these next six months, over the next year, is what can we be doing for our middle school kids on Sunday mornings and, uh, and really bring back a vibrant environment there. So if you're interested in participating at some level during those seven weeks, it's, it starts the first week of July and goes just until almost the last week of August. And then guess what? On the last week of August, we're going to do a big campfire story party in here. So everybody is going to be in here together. Think Jingle Jam, but campfires and s'mores. And we're going to just kind of celebrate uh, that time together. And it's going to be a big mess. It'll be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully we'll see you out for that series. Uh, hey, real, real quick review, okay? So maybe you've missed a few weeks over the last uh, few of this series. But real quick review on your talk notes there. We're going to go rapid fire. The anchor verse for this series that we started way back in Easter that like we said, this is going to kind of be the thread that holds us 
us together for keeping hope alive says this, says, let us hold unwavering to our confession that gives us hope for he who made the promise is trustworthy. And that says, we must consider how to rouse one another to love and good works. We should not stay away from our assembly as the custom of some, Hebrews chapter 20. So this verse is saying, listen, we need to hold on to that hope that comes from our profession, that Jesus is living, that there is hope that's found in this world through the people of God. And, and so we've been exploring what does it mean to keep hope alive through the life of a follower of Jesus, right? And, and the first week, which was Easter, we said this. We said, we are a church that believes resurrection hope only survives when people live it and give it, right? The, when we, we can say Jesus is alive all we want, but if at the end of the day we aren't living in that big truth, we aren't giving that hope away, it doesn't matter, and that's really what this series is about. In week two, we said we're a church that perseveres in our commitment to love. We said hope demands perseverance. In week, in week three, we said as a church, we're working to bring justice, which is God's vision for the world, to all people, right? Enoughism, this idea that God wants for all to have enough. And that's what it means to keep hope alive. And then week four, we said we're a church that knows you cannot bring hope to the hurting from a safe distance. We talked about the power of proximity, that we have to get close to the pain. We have to walk into the darkness, and that's what it means to keep hope alive. And then last week, we said we're a church that understands what we believe today is not enough for tomorrow, and that's spiritual growth, that we're constantly growing in our beliefs. We're, we're shedding old beliefs that served us for a season, but we know better, so we do better, and that was what we explored, right? And so this week, we're talking about the importance of care and support, right? How many of you, raise your hand up nice and high, if you'd be willing to say, I have experienced a broken heart in my life. In some way, you've experienced a broken heart, right? We just kind of know it. I just like took all the energy out of the room, <laughs> right? Because we know that pain, right? We know this, the, the idea that our hearts, the metaphor of a broken heart, when we don't get the job that we so desperately wanted, when that person we love left us, when death suddenly became a part of our story in a very real way, in a way that we weren't ready for. Maybe a chronic illness begins to take over our lives, a parent that abandoned us, which should have been a safe place for us growing up, whether it be our church or our home or our neighborhood, all of a sudden become a place of horror and abuse. Maybe there was a prayer that wasn't answered the way we wanted it to be answered. And the truth is that feeling of brokenheartedness is universal and it's normal. It's universal and it's normal. I love what, what Dennis said. Like Jesus said, in this world, we will have trouble. Like somewhere along the way, there, there came this spirituality that said, well, if you just kind of live your life right and you kind of have a heart towards God, the divine, then you're going to avoid all kinds of trouble. But, but life tells us something different. Life tells us that there are troubled waters all around us. And, and these feelings are normal. These feelings are a part of our existence. They're a part of our story. In a sense, I think they're sacred. And, and too often in moral theism, we take kind of our experiences of brokenheartedness. We take our mistakes, the things that maybe Scripture would call sin or that I would call woundedness and brokenness. And we, and we instead of in those moments like surrounding and recognizing this is part of our story, God is present in the pain, God is there in our mistakes, we kind of turn that into a moment to kind of, well... You need to take a break. 
You need to step down from this area. You shouldn't be influencing these people when you're walking through that. You made this mistake. But really, there's this beautiful understanding that the pain and the hurt and what we sometimes call the broken spaces of our lives, that those are just as sacred as the joy. They're just as sacred as the, the highs, the mountaintops. God's present in all of those things. And sometimes when our hearts get broken, right, we experience these universal feelings, things like loneliness. We experience things like humiliation and rejection and disconnection and disappointment. And sometimes when our hearts are broken, we even experience relief. And that relief can turn into guilt because maybe you were caring for someone in your life and, and maybe you had a parent that you were caring for for a long time and it was so draining and there was this sense that their suffering is over and, and you feel a sense of relief and now you're weighing that sense of relief with guilt. Why am I feeling this way? But my heart is broken. These are all universal realities. It doesn't matter whether you are an atheist, an agnostic, whether you're something in between, whether you're not sure, whether you are a Muslim, a Hindu, it doesn't matter. We all experience this reality of brokenheartedness. And that's why songs like Bridge Over Troubled Water last so long. That's why a song that can win the Grammy for best song, Song of the Year in 1970, will capture and captivate generation after generation after generation because it speaks to the deepest realities of our lives, the deepest divinity of our lives, right? We can resonate with that lyric, when you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. We know we want somebody to do that. We want somebody in our lives that will help dry those tears. And when times get rough and friends just can't be found, like we've all had that moment where we feel like nobody gets it. There might even be friends in our presence, but they just don't understand. And their best words, their best attempts almost make us feel more brokenhearted. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. We desire that person, that thing in our lives to do that because we know that that brings hope. Having that bridge, having that person who is sailing with us as we walk through that, it brings hope. And if we don't experience that bridge, right, without the bridge, a broken heart quickly becomes a hopeless heart. And that's a totally different story. But, you know, Scripture offers us some really powerful encouragement and wisdom when it comes to this experience. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, I'm not going to ask you right now, but maybe you're sitting here, you're listening online, maybe you're in your car and it's Wednesday and you weren't here this weekend, but your now is my now. And as you hear this, that verse resonates, and there's a desperation that, is this true? Is, is God the divine, the universe, whatever word you like to use, is that love, that sustaining reality, that perfectness, is that, is that really near to me when I'm broken? And maybe you're sitting here going, I desperately need to feel that nearness. Scripture gives us a picture of what this can look like. This can look like a, an emotional experience, certainly, of sitting and meditating and thinking and praying and then being overwhelmed by love. That happens. But I think more often than not, we have an experience where this nearness of God, nearness of the divine, flows through the people around us. So I want to look for a, a moment at a story in the life of Jesus 
that we find in all the Gospels, and well, at least in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We find a little bit of a variation of it in John. This story of some friends who were this bridge, that they were a bridge and they helped produce a healing that was far more than physical in their friend's life. And so, like I said, this story we find in all the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels tell us the one good news of Jesus from different perspectives and different ideas. There's a diversity within these stories, and we'll actually see a little bit of it today. But I want to look at this in the version of the Gospel of Luke today. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 it says that one day as Jesus was teaching, so he's got a crowd of people that have all gathered around him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there also, and everybody had come. Everybody had come from all these villages in, from the surrounding areas, from these different regions. And it says that the power of the Lord was with him for healing, that somehow God's power was present in unique ways when Jesus would speak, that just like you've been around those people, Right? You've been around those people in those moments where they might not even know it, but their words were just like the healing power of God into our brokenness. And so that's the scene. And it says that during this time, some men brought a man. There was a man who was brought on a stretcher, and this man was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him in Jesus' presence, but they couldn't find a way in because it was so crowded. Like the, the whole place was crowded. So they went up onto the roof with their friend, and they lowered him in the stretcher through the tiles right into the middle in front of Jesus. Such a cool picture. They climb up. They get their friend up there. They pull back some of the tiles. Or maybe they were in an open area in, in a very wealthy person's home. And they, they lower this man right down in front of Jesus. You know, that's commitment. <laughs> like this paralyzed man, this hurting man, had friends that were committed to his healing. They didn't care what they looked like. They didn't care how difficult it was. They were committed. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, the whole crew, you know, whether it was the friends, whether it was the friends and the man, he just like saw this whole group. And Luke uses the word faith, right? We could use the word belief, chutzpah, whatever we want to call it. Jesus was like, whoa. And he makes this statement that I'm sure they were kind of like, yeah, so what? <laughs> Right? It says that he says, when he saw their faith, he said, as for you, your sins are forgiven. I didn't ask. Nobody said, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins and come into my heart? No, nothing like that. I actually think Jesus was making a statement of fact that's for all of us. What you don't know is actually true. I'm just going to tell you what's true. Like, he never asked for it. There's a stated reality of who he is. Your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the question. What was it that they believed? What did this group believe? What did the friends believe? Now, maybe, maybe they believed that Jesus had the ability to heal, right? It would not have been uncommon, believe it or not. It's one of the things that makes Jesus unique is not stories of what we call the miraculous or healing. Those are pretty common in antiquity. It was in a time that just believed this is what happened. So maybe they believed that. Maybe they had heard stories of some who had come to Jesus who had been healed. That's very likely. But I think what they believed deep in their hearts was that their friend who was paralyzed, whose culture cast him out because of his sickness, this culture that would say your sickness is a product of your sin, that you're facing a punishment in your life, that they believed deeply that their friend was worthy of love and community. 
that their friend was not that sinner. Their friend was not an outcast. Their friend was worthy of love, was worthy of healing. That there wasn't something in this person's life or in the history of their family that hindered God in their life. They just believed that couldn't possibly be true. And so in that moment, Jesus actually offers a lot of hope. He says, your sins are forgiven. Like the things that make you unclean, that keep you away from community, that keep you outside of your religious structure. No, no, no. Your sins are forgiven. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, the text says, they begin to ask themselves, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who but God alone can forgive sins? They don't like this one bit. And so Jesus, he knows their thoughts. Now, don't think that Jesus was like a psychic mind reader, okay? You, you can tell by body language, right? Right, when your teenager's doing this. Yeah, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, I got it. I got it. Stop. Okay, oh gosh. You know what they're thinking, right? You don't, you don't need tarot cards, a, a prayer closet. You don't need any of that, not, you know, right? It's just like, I get it. You think I'm an idiot, but I'm not. <laughs> like, how'd you know what I was thinking? Like, my teenager's like offended now. You know you do it right? We can read the body language. So Jesus kind of reads the body and he's like, why are you thinking in your hearts? Which is easier for it? Is it easier for somebody to say, your sins are forgiven, a statement of fact of what is presently, or to say, rise up and walk? See, the religious leaders were uncomfortable with this moment because Jesus was deconstructing very dangerous theology. And this dangerous theology had become a grounding for them to make sense of their world. So the only way that the religious leaders kind of knew to make sense of the pain and suffering in their world was to not put it on the reality of life, was to not like understand suffering from a physical perspective. They didn't have that, they didn't have modern medicine. They just, okay, how do we do this? And they, well, it must be the person, it must be the person because God's good and so God is allowing it or God is punishing. And so there was this way in which meaning was found and meaning was being made. And so Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. You think that because this person is paralyzed, they're a sinner and they're getting punishment. But that's not the case. And you think it's so much harder to say your sins are forgiven, to live in this reality. And so Jesus says, okay, well, here's the deal. So that you know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your stretcher and go home. So why is this... Why are we given this miracle? Why are we given this story? Because Jesus is making a point about bad theology, <laughs> right? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm gonna, this is gonna happen. The, Luke is telling us this is the healing that takes place, that this person is not a sinner. This person is forgiven. Now, remind you, this is a, a great picture of why I don't like fully buy into this idea that the cross is how forgiveness takes place. Because Jesus is offering forgiveness before the cross. It's not like they went out and crucified Jesus real quick, and then he comes over and goes, okay, now you're forgiven. I took on your punishment from this angry God who is just super, super disappointed in all of us. No, like Jesus is just stating, this is the nature of it. You're forgiven. You didn't ask for it. You're forgiven. Now you can live in that if you want to or not. But there's this beautiful moment. And then it says this, he stood up immediately before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. This powerful moment. And it's done and produced. So what does the healing mean? The healing means, for all those listening, oh man, 
Jesus actually forgives sins. And, and Jesus was a, in this context, in this story, please don't bring 2,000 years of church history and confessional Christianity to the table. Nobody in this story, when it happens, is saying, Jesus is very God of very God, divine, part of the Trinity. Like all those are concepts that come later. Jesus is a normal dude who's got powerful teaching. The power of God is on him. He's walking around and people are trying to process this. And so they're completely astonished, it says. It says, Luke says that astonishment seized them and they all glorified God and struck with all they said, we have seen incredible things today, things plural. Two things I think they saw, thing one and thing two. Y'all, y'all familiar with thing one and thing two? Like we got cups in our house, like thing one through thing four. That's what they say in it. So what's the first thing I think that they were astonished by? I think they were astonished that humans have been given the authority to heal disease and forgive sins. This would have been mind-blowing, right, for the Jewish mind, that there here's a human being forgiving sins. They've been taught their whole tradition, no, this comes only through God, this comes through the sacrificial system, this is how it works in the world. In fact, I think it was so important, Matthew, in his community, which is Jewish, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish community. In Matthew chapter 9, he explicitly changes Mark's language. So he uses Mark all throughout it. It's almost identical. We know Mark is the first source of this story. Matthew changes the ending, and it says this, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to humans, plural. See, Matthew's making a statement that this idea of healing and forgiveness was not just Jesus, but the point of the story is it's been given to humans. And so because of all the cultural beliefs that were floating around, around disease and sin and exclusion and temple and purity, like this moment, this story is not just about a physical healing and, oh, Jesus can heal people, so you should follow him. No, it's a story of forgiveness and healing and inclusion and restoration that's the idea. And, and, the, and, and the point of the story is to say, that's what Jesus does. That's what following Jesus is about. It's about the restoration and inclusion and love and care without any judgment. And so the, thec- the second thing that I think, that, the second thing, did you catch that? The second thing that I think they saw that astonished them was that this healing came through the care and support of a radical friendship. Right? There were radical friends willing to not judge their friend. Right? If they were judging their friend, they wouldn't ever be carrying the stretcher. They wouldn't have gone up on the roof. No, they radically cared. Everything around them in their world would have said, this guy deserves it. He deserves what he's getting. There's some issue here. There's some sin. That's why he's under a curse. And there were some friends who were brave enough to say, no. I will not pass judgment. I'm going to love, and I'm going to care, and I'm going to support. And so don't miss this, because I think this is the point of the story. I think this is what it means for a commitment for our church as a collective and our church as individuals when we live into our scattered worlds, is that we must radically care for and support the brokenhearted without judgment. That is the healing work of the Spirit of Christ in this world. To suspend our judgment, is a person deserving of what they're getting? Well, they, you know, they dug their own hole. They made their bed. Time to lie in it. 
We've got all the phrases because that's what we have a tendency to do. So in our everyday normal lives, as we leave here, as we organize our community of faith, there's some questions that this story, like there's some, there's some things that we're called to wrestle with, right? I think one of the questions that we're called to wrestle with from this story that we get from Mark and Luke and Matthew and these different nuances, like it calls us to ask ourselves this question, and it's a tough one. And it's to say this question, rather than heal and care for the brokenhearted, how do my beliefs judge and exclude? Like, is there something in me that, yeah, I can say I'm loving and I'm caring, but, but I'm actually judging? Is that, is that somewhere in me? Is that somewhere in our church? Is that somewhere in our, in our, in our profession of faith? And the call of Jesus, the call of this story, is to say, make it part of your lived reality to always ask yourself this question. Because, because there is a space where we do this in. doesn't mean we're terrible people. It means we're normal people. But the story calls us to just examine and say, is there an arrogance? Is there something in me that says this person isn't worthy of my attention? They're just too different. They're just too fill in the blank. And, and the work of a cruciform life, we talk about this all the time, that, that healthy spirituality, healthy religion elevates us out of the, the we groupings, out of the our stories, and into a universal story of all humanity, of which God is coursing through and moving and working. And so there's that question. And a second question, I think, that is worth us wrestling with is to say, how do we as a community of faith, as a local expression of the body of Christ, both, both as a community and as individuals, how do we carry the stretcher and remove the tiles, right? How do we become those radical friends? How do we commit ourselves? We talk in our church about this need for, for a robust care and support strategy that creates groups where people can connect with one another who have shared experiences that can provide care for each other there's this space in which we come and we bring our experiences and we encourage one another. And, and, and often these groups, it's not, I want, you, I want to say this very, very clearly, these groups become powerful not because they've done something wrong, but because the very nature of whatever has happened to them has been a point of exclusion and brokenheartedness. And sometimes the church has been responsible for that, sometimes our world, sometimes a friend, sometimes just life in general. And so we create spaces where we care for one another, groups that bring people in grief together to manage the new life that comes as grief is now a house guest forever, right? Parenting, how many parents in the room, right? Anybody ever have issues parenting? Anybody ever feel like you're just nailing it out of the park every day? People should be writing books about your parenting skills. Right? Now, most of us are like, give me something to help with this. Right? <laughs> One of the things I, I love about our church that we saw develop was a, a group that was about helping folks uh, from the LGBTQ plus community who were living a faith that oftentimes has said, you're less than, to come together and, and grow and support and care for one another and to teach us as a church how to do better. Recovery. When addiction enters into a home, enters into our lives, whatever that might be, there's all kinds of tentacles that come out. And so groups that create a space for that type of care and love. 
I think that there's a third question for us to consider in our lives, and this is particularly for those of us when we feel brokenhearted, when we feel the troubled waters, the pain, whatever. Like, and here's the question, what crowd is in the way of my own healing and care? What crowd? Right? There was a crowd, and this crowd believed certain things, and so this crowd was not willing to make a way. Right? You, you would hope that a crowd of people that are interested in Jesus and Jesus' message that are deeply motivated by their religious faith would see uh, some friends carrying a person in a mat and be like, get out of the way, clear the way, give up your seat, <laughs> move out of the way. But they don't do that. They just stay right there because this person wasn't worthy of it. And so maybe it's important for us to say, is there a crowd in my way? Sometimes it might be a, a belief about myself. I'm des- I deserve this broken heart. I deserve this. It could be, it could be a, a structure in my life, a relationship that's constantly pushing me down, constantly kicking me, right? And so we say, where is my broken heart? And maybe, maybe the crowd that keeps us away is a spirituality that just says, hey, if you're following Jesus, you know, greater is he who's in you than is in the world. Stop being such a downer. <laughs> you just need more faith. Maybe that's the crowd, like, and maybe the truth is, like, to get past that crowd is to just say this beautiful phrase that is floating, like, it's just okay to not be okay. It, it's all right. And, and, and we take the responsibility of carrying one another at different seasons. I, I, I remember going to a seminar one time, and, and I heard this, and I just think it's so true that the, the most important person in the life of a community, the most important person in the life of a church is the one who's hurting the most. That's who's the most, that, that's where the attention has to go. That's where we, we, we provide and we rally. It's like why your body, right, when there's something wrong with your body, like all the, your, your human body, the biology, like courses to heal, produces all that energy and, and all that goodness that your body can produce into that area that's hurting. And that's a beautiful picture of what it means to be a healthy, functional church. And when we take this commitment on, when we say hope demands care and support, if we're going to hang big 20-foot banners in our foyer that say hope is here, we're willing to meet the demands to create a care and support structure and place that is without judgment. And when we do that, here's what's powerful. When we actually participate, when we become the friends, right, and we say, I'll carry the, 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 I'll carry the stretcher, I'll do my part. Maybe you're not a, a, a loving, caring person, but you're just like, you're filled with resources. You say, well, I'll, I'll support in this way. And maybe you say, I don't have a lot of resources, but I just got a great big heart. That's your resource. And you say, oh, I, will, I will give myself. I'll give my time. Like we can all, all participate. When we do that, when we participate, you know what happens? We get secondhand healings. Tell me those friends' lives weren't transformed in that moment. <laughs> Tell me they didn't walk out with their friend, look at all those people and be like, told you so. told you so. Tell me their faith wasn't bolstered. Like they weren't saying like, wow, what God can do if we can live this radical love, this radical space. In just a moment, um, I'm going to invite Craig to come. And Craig is going to share his story of his interaction with care and support in his life and his leadership that he's brought here to Crossroads. And we're going to kind of bring some other folks up on stage that are in this process of relaunching and reimagining care and support in the life of our church. And we're going to pray over them as we kind of move into this new season. 
And as he comes and prepares to share his story, I just want you to think about the question, while you're listening, what is God inviting you into today? What is God inviting you into today? So Craig will talk about all the things that God has, you can come on up, Craig, all the things that God has invited him into, that he's felt these nudges in his life. But what about you? Like maybe the invitation today is, gosh, I need to talk to a care minister. I'm on the mat and I don't feel like anybody is carrying me. And you can check that box and we'll follow up with you and and connect you with a person that can just begin to help carry the mat. Maybe you're in a space where you're feeling this nudge to be a person who helps carry the mat in this community, right? As a member, as a part of this church. And you would say, how do I get connected? How you can check that box. But just think about what God might be inviting you into. There might not be either. What is God inviting you into as it comes to care and support as you listen to this story? Good morning. My name is Craig Bentrod, and my wife Karen and I have been members of Crossroads Church for almost seven years. I want to share with you just a little bit about why I feel so strongly about the care ministries of this church. Both Karen and I have experienced divorce. Karen has lost a grandson, and through participation in several mission trips, we have seen firsthand homelessness, poverty, mental illness, addiction, and the desperation that comes with problems that are so difficult to solve. I want to share with you one personal story to give you perspective on what it's like to go through divorce. After I had left my home and my marriage of 31 years, I realized that I only had one picture of my children and it was a picture of my two oldest boys only. So I asked my ex-wife if I could have some of the old family albums in order that I might duplicate some of the pictures. She gave me one. And as I began the process, I was overwhelmed by a flood of emotions, sadness, guilt, and the reality of loss. I put the project on hold until I was better able to handle these feelings, but it wasn't long until my ex called and she wanted the photos back. We discussed it, I tried to explain to her what I was feeling, but eventually I relented and I drove the 40 miles to her home and I presented the album to her. Needless to say, words were exchanged, we both became angry. She eventually hit me and as I backed out of the driveway, my wife was pounding on the driver's side window. I thought of the old TV show, This Is Your Life, Craig Bentrod. I was ashamed, I was sad, I was angry, and I was alone. There have been seasons in our lives where Karen and I have been both a caregiver and a care receiver. In an effort to help others, survive these life-altering experiences and to actually grow from them. It was always the opinion of Karen and I that what people need when they're in the midst of a crisis is God and a friend. They need to know that there is someone that will walk this journey with them. Personally, I believe in today's world where social media is so prominent and so influential that close friendships are on the decline. Many of us don't know our neighbors, and when we find ourselves in crisis, 
we don't know who we can share with and who would be willing to help us get through it. They need to know that there is someone that will walk this journey with them. And I believe that is a functioning role of any church. In 2017, I decided I wanted to make this thought a reality, and so I went through training at Crossroads to become a Stevens minister. Today, we call that program Care Ministers. And at the conclusion of my training, Pastor Katie Martinez asked Karen and I if we would consider leading the divorce care program. And Katie, I want to thank you for that opportunity. We accepted, and it was a wonderful experience of seeing people turn a very sad and overwhelming life event into an opportunity to grow as a person with the faith that is not only restored, but often strengthened. I expanded my caregiving to the Stephen Ministry side, working with people one-on-one -on -one to help them walk through life's disappointments. I formed many great friendships, I saw people heal, grow, and prosper. Now you may think, well, I'm not equipped to help people heal from such an event. And the answer to that is, you're correct, you're not. Only God can heal such bruised souls. But the work of care ministry in reality is 70% listening, 20% praying, and 10% guiding. With God's help, all things are possible. Now Crossroads Church is going to begin the process of restarting our care ministry programs. I mentioned two of those, divorce care and care ministry. But we're looking at so much more. On the table is discussion uh, to bring back a grief support group, to bring back a program similar to Celebrate Recovery, a parental support group, the Edmondson School Kids Mentoring Project, the Lago Vista Project, and much more. I hope you will consider joining our team and helping provide the care and support we all need at some point in our lives. Karen and I have realized through the years that you never feel better about yourself, about your church, or about your relationship with God until you choose to help someone simply because you want to. This is a great opportunity to help someone in need, to make new friendships, to put Crossroads Church at work in our community, and to see God at work in our church and in yourself. I hope you will consider joining us. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Craig. So, Craig, come on over here, and, and would you do me a favor? Uh, Jimmy uh, Scruggs and, and Amy and, and a crew are coming up, and Jimmy is uh, launching in and taking over, and has we've kind of adjusted things. that a big heart for care and support and is going to be leading the charge here at our church. And we wanted to just take a moment uh, in our service to, to just commission this group as a representation and leaders that are going to lead us in becoming uh, a place where hope is. Right where hope has always been, and and to to build and and to see and strengthen the heart what has always been the heart of I think Crossroads Church, uh, right? And so uh, this is just a, a great group of people. Jimmy, did you grab the microphone? Good. Take a second and just the ones that are here maybe help us understand their role, what they're doing, and leading us right now. Sure. So all the way down at the end, we have Autumn Patterson who leads our 
uh, prayer team. We have Deborah Burke, who's a member of that prayer team. Next to her is Shiloh uh, Kalfina, who's uh, looking to help us launch a single parent group. Uh, Shelly is uh, a part of our prayer team and also part of our uh, memorial team. Uh, Cy Dieter, our facilities manager, is helping us to relaunch recovery, as is John Chapman next to him. Candace Andrews here has uh, led divorce care five times now um, and is doing that right now. They just started a group here in the last couple of weeks. Behind is uh, Randy Swain playing the bass, who uh, is helping us to relaunch care ministries and also helping with uh, some guidance around recovery ministry as well. Uh, next to me is my wife, Amy, who has experience with uh, recovery ministry, care ministry, victims of assault, uh, grief. Um, there's many people that I haven't touched base with this week. Mary Vogesser of our memorial team, Carrie Date, who does food for our memorial team, Mary uh, Lidmilla, who's leading our LGBTQIA adult connect group, Tara Herdlicker, who's out of town this week, who leads our parent support group, um, I, there are many other members of our, our prayer team. Uh, Karen, uh, Craig's wife, who's led Divorce Care. There's probably a bunch of you out there, and I apologize that I haven't had time to touch base and get you up here on the stage with us, but I know that there will be many more the next time we decide to do this. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, thank you. So we're excited about the days ahead. Um, and, and I have this deep belief that if you build it, God will bring them. <laughs> And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about this space where there's care and love and grace and hope and those that are so desperately longing. The universe just works that way, and it's exciting. So will you stand with us? We're going to just pray over this adventure in care and support. Our adventure is worth it. It says part of our adventure is worth it ministry emphasis, new adventures in care and support as a church. And we just join your heart and pray with me, and then we're going to sing together. Uh, and then I'll give us our blessing, and uh, we'll move on to enjoy a week where we have the opportunity to love and care for those around us in our everyday normal lives. Uh, Lord, first and foremost, I am beyond grateful for the resiliency of those that have been engaged for so long in this area. Lord, the last two, three years especially have just been so difficult with COVID and all these other realities in the life of our church, but so many volunteers who have done everything they can to stay engaged and to give of themselves to the care and support of so many. And we are grateful for them, Lord. I pray right now that just your spirit would in their life right now just fill them with a sense of, of just pride, of healthy, just gratefulness and gratitude from us. May that flow into their being. And I'm grateful for, for Jimmy and Amy. I'm grateful that you have uh, raised them up in our church for this moment, the heart that they have as individuals, as a couple, for care and support, for, for those of us that feel like the least of these with our broken hearts. I thank you for their desire to lead us, to inspire us, to equip us to carry the mat, to carry the stretcher. And so, Lord, all of these folks, where you give them vision, just give them a vision for the area that they're passionate in. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts, God, as well, to, to carry the load, to help carry the stretcher, to know that many hands make light work, that we would be a church 
not of consumers, but we would be a church of people who give, who give to support and care for others. And Lord, for those right now that are here, that are experiencing the weight of a broken heart, may they find encouragement in this moment to know that there are resources presently, that there are ones that will come alongside. I pray that you would just give them the courage, give them the courage, Lord, to just check that box in this moment, to know that there are bridges in the midst of the troubled waters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.